0: This is the Blaze Radio on Demand. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper Mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress. At an unbelievably fair price, it combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to Casper.com slash Glenn, Casper.com Glenn. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field,
1: the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous,
2: but mostly ridiculous.
3: wonderful
1: <laughs> I hate these guys. You know what that is, Billy? Nope,
2: I don't. Okay, fine, I do. Okay, you told me right before. You you pre-planned this ridiculous intro. It's the bar. Tro-
1: it's the bar scene from Star Wars.
2: Yeah, I know all about it. And
1: if you've watched, if you watched any of
2: the, any of the, oh, the circus, yeah.
1: The, and it's the last two weeks don't get me wrong. I'm not just criticizing the the democrats oh, okay both of them were Both of them. have do you watch the conventions I mean I know we talked last I, week about the GOP convention and you were kind of gone and out and I was gone and out this week and I mean not out but like just I I kind of stayed unplugged from the convention probably more than I should have this week but
2: I I, I watched them but I, this week I had to tune out. I just couldn't take it anymore, not just because it was the Democratic one or the Republican, just because I went through the week of the Republican
3: yeah.
2: one, watched a good chunk of it, and I was exhausted. Then going into this one, it was like, this is going to take even more energy that I just don't have. Um, so I watched selective parts of it. I watched Bill Clinton on mute, which was actually <laughs> wonderful. Um, and I read well, about looks- it. But I watched obviously I watched Hillary yesterday. I didn't watch Obama. I did watch Michelle. So I selectively chose. Bill looks frail, doesn't he? I mean, uh, just, yeah, it's funny. They he does like I he caught he bit. caught like he caught whatever his
1: buddy George H. W. Bush has, which is old, oh, you are which terrible. is horrible oldness. Because he looks, he doesn't, he doesn't look good to me. Uh, no. But anyways, bar scene from Star Wars, which is what the conventions remind me of, and I'm not just talking about the Democratic convention, the Democrats, the the liberal mindset of the Democratic Party, and and the things, and we're gonna get into some of the platform things that that we noticed. um uh, the crazy town of the politics but i'm just the the people there when you watch it you know we, we joked once about how cpac is like a s- star trek convention it's worse <laughs> the, the convention the party conventions are i'm it's crazy town i mean you watch the people who are on there and it's all the crazies from from the from the extremes of both
2: parties and it's like they're wearing American flag-themed items that you never like imagined cow- would cow- be produced cowboy, anywhere.
1: H- cowboy hats, moo-moos, all sorts of things. This
2: like, like
1: very bizarre things. <laughs> Bedazzled bizarre things. things. It's really... Anyway, I hate the conventions. I, really, I mean, I don't mind the news that's brought from them, but watching the people at the conventions just makes me go, Oh, these are the people who are really going to influence who our next president.
2: You know what's scary to me, actually, and I and I have to bring this up because I know you know Buck Sexton and others were joking about this, and and I noticed it um, when I was watching Bernie. I also watched Bernie Sanders. Right. Uh, the bizarre crying and obsessive melting down over him. It was like a it was like a Beatles concert gone bad, and it was really sad to me because I thought. All of these people have placed their faith so deeply right. into a person that right. they're weeping, little right. weeping willows. Yeah. And I'm like, wow! Imagine if we <laughs> put that energy towards things that mattered. It's sad.
1: Well, and I'm watching this, and again, watching both conventions, it's really—it's not just the craziness of the the crazy base who's there, but it's also. The raw rah my team thing. No, I don't. I don't begrudge anybody's and You know, I'm, I I vote Republican and I, I'm pretty loyal to the Republican Party and that sort of thing. But the when you watch the conventions, when it looks like if you go if you go to a a, a Pittsburgh Steelers game, everybody's wearing Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. If you go to a Seattle Seahawks game, everybody's wearing number twelve jerseys. I mean, it's all. But it's, so it's all just the team. It's all the Democrats. Yay yay yay. Republicans. Yay 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 yay. yay without a real focus on the issues by the people. Who are making up the the cheerleading squad of the team. They don't care what the what the what their team seems to be saying, it seems in a lot of times. But I that drives me crazy. The other thing that I noticed was eight years ago, Republicans were rightfully criticizing the Democrats for looking to uh, barack obama as you know some sort of savior that's going to save the world he this one man is going to do this he's going to save the world and and then the republicans eight years later turn around and do the same thing with donald trump i mean that's what he campaigns on only i donald trump can save the world i and can lower this i can lower the, i can lower the sea levels and i can build a wall that mexico will be forced to pay for it's like no you can't Now nah.
2: look I agree with you. I have to give this to Hillary. I thought she gave an excellent speech. Like if we're we're not, and I know people, I said this on Twitter and people were like, oh, that's not true. I find her to be relatively flawless and a good arguer. I don't think she's compelling or interesting, but I find her speeches to go off without a hitch. I don't love them. I'm not captivated. She's not like Obama with the effect, but you feel like, wow, she actually knows what she's talking about, Uh, even if I don't agree with what she's saying. So I have to. I can pull myself out of it and say I thought that was good. A lot of people tweeted me and said that's not true. I don't, feel but that I way do about think her. she gave a great speech. I, I don't what?
1: feel. That, I don't feel that way about her at all. I find her horribly insincere. I don't think she believes a thing
2: that she's saying. Well, that's why I said not the effect, but the delivery. But, I'm but talking that's, about but the it, delivery.
1: But for me, the delivery of it. at The same time, I, I feel like it's a delivery that that to me it falls flat, and not simply that's because, because I know her. It's not. It's not simply because I already dislike her. It's that I just don't think.
2: Anyway, I. I She's well, a look, terrible she's, speech giver. She has a terrible presence, and it I makes agree it, it, with that. But I think the delivery, the the actual oration of it, what she's saying, it's resonating, which is why she's the candidate. So then, I mean, not the oration, is, is, the, not
1: it? the oration, the content of it. Because the oration's terrible. She is a terrible. I didn't speaker. think it was
2: last night. That's what I'm saying. I do uh, think she's generally not a great. But last night, I think I think she's not a terrible communicator. Like people have said it. So, I mean, look. So now you're a, so now you're a now you're a Hillary guy. No, not at all. Of course, but but I'm saying I think she gave a good speech last night. Even my even my wife, who is not a fan of Hillary, was like, "That was not a bad speech." I yeah. mean, it wasn't, and I think she hit on all the things she felt like she needed to yeah to hit back at Trump. What did
1: you What did you think of her? Uh, she comes out dressed. She always dresses like Kim Jong Il. <laughs>
2: Stop saying it, because I well, first of all, I thought, wow, she's got weight on for her coronation. I was like, what, this is so. What kidding. was
1: that? I didn't understand that. She it was like, like this a glow. wedding. She, she looked this like, is, like this, this glowing orb
2: right there on look, stage. Look, well, it is an orb, and and Hillary has been the, every moment of Hillary's breath for the last forty years has been for that moment. Yeah. and you could just see it on her face. She's like, uh, she would have run over a baby squirrel to get the presidency. <laughs> she was willing to do whatever she yeah, had to, and yeah. and there she was. She was on that stage. So yeah, I guess white was the. It was her way of saying, "I'm ready to marry you, America. I'm ready know. to you it's, know." I don't know she's just awful.
1: There's nothing there's <laughs> nothing about her that's appealing. I mean, to me there's nothing even like Barack Obama, right? I can watch him and go, "You know what? Not a bad orator most of the time and you know I and I think he I do think he loves his wife and his kids. I do I do believe I do genuinely believe those things. There's nothing about Hillary Clinton to me that is positive. There's n- there's nothing likable about her. There's nothing about her that I go, "Well, yeah, she's good at that." I mean, there's nothing I don't think she, I don't think, I don't find her all that bright, right? And this, you know, it takes one to know one, right? I don't find myself all that bright. I'm obviously not horribly intelligent. And so I can, ide- I can, I easily
2: identify fellow dullards. See, I do think she's intelligent. And this I is don't. where you and I part. I think she's intelligent. I don't think she has the delivery of Barack Obama, let's say, right? I, I don't. I think you're right. I think he can captivate an audience and, you know, try, try to sell you. the belief that the sky is purple she can't really do that but i do think she's extremely intelligent i know i I find her i find her to have a room temperature iq well i (laughs) look i can only assess based on how she's handled herself in the middle of chaos right right. and she's had a lot of chaos and the clintons basically get away with everything but but she's been able to handle that and manipulate it in a way that i think most people wouldn't be able to and that takes intellect Uh, well it takes drive certainly She's very, she's very determined
1: to be president. She's very determined to be in charge. So she's not going to let anything. And you think she way. will be, right? I do. I still think she's going to win. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You're still pretty, con- you're still pretty convinced that your boy Trump's going to pull this off, aren't you?
2: Uh, I am. Are yeah, you? St- I'm 55, you- 45. 50, you're still, you're
1: sticking with 55, 45 for right now. That's not horribly, com- I mean, that's not horribly firm, and you're. I mean, you used to be like he's definitely going to win. Now, it's well, like, I
2: still think he's definitely going to win. But, well, fifty-five, you know,
1: forty-five is not definitely. That's just like well, he's going to win. But in a general
2: win. election, it is.
1: Oh, so you're 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 not. Your fifty-five, forty-five
2: isn't your odds. You're you're thinking he's going to win fifty-five percent of the vote. No, no, no. I mean, it's my the, odds. The I think it'll be college? closer than that. But okay. it's 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 my odds. I think I think it'll be closer than that. I just. I don't want to sell myself up the river totally. So I'm going to go 55-45 <laughs> instead of 70-30. But now I know P, I, somebody told me yesterday he could close his eyes Donald Trump and not say another word until the election and he's going to slide right in. No, you know, she, not she's in, but I don't think that. No. I think it's going to be a tough battle, but I think he will win. No, I give see I give her about a 65.
1: I think I told you yesterday. I said I give her about a 65 to 70% chance of winning.
2: Didn't Eric really, Erickson and, and Glenn and a bunch of others also say the same? Haven't they? A lot of people sort of come around to... You know, I'm, I'm not sure.
1: I know Glenn has said before that he thinks Hillary's going to win, but then he changed that to that Donald Trump's going to win, and then I don't know where he is. I know that has changed a couple times.
2: Well, it's going to change throughout. I mean, we could talk in a month and something could happen that um, would totally... Yeah, in fact, it, Eric Erickson, I'm just looking right now, wrote on The Resurgent uh, this week... That um, I now believe Donald Trump is on track to win the presidency, which is kind of fascinating. Oh,
1: really? That's interesting. Yes. Wow, that's interesting.
2: Um, oh, which, wait, wait, wait! I've said repeatedly over and over the uh, he's he's admitting in the beginning. I've said I do not believe Donald Trump will win the presidency. Yes, it's always been possible, but it's very, very improbable. I've also said, okay, then. Um, it, it seems like he's changing his view on it. It's huh, interesting. interesting.
1: Interesting. All right. So, so speaking of the, the let's not let's not fully transition here, so I'm not gonna tr- play our transition music unless you think it's a, a unless you think it's necessary nah all right um so let me get back over here and uh but you had a story about something unusual in the democratic platform, including a lot of there are a lot of unusual things that we found about the democratic platform this week. One of them is quite substantive and one of the, you know some of them are quite substantive and at least one of them is is very political. what's that unusual thing that you discovered? William. Well, I
2: I can't take total credit for it, <laughs> oh, okay. but I can say I can say that um, this was something that was sort of circulating out there about the platforms. You know, I did a, a number of pieces on the platforms beforehand on the draft proposals, what was right. in them. And then in the, the final version tends to be pretty similar to the final draft right. you know, version of it. Yep. Um, but the Democratic platform sort of separates from tradition. And I don't know how far back I haven't analyzed every single right. platform, but, but Generally speaking, you don't focus the platform on the opposing candidate You by naming them. You right. talk about your ideas. You talk about opposing ideas. But the Democratic platform, and, and I guess let me lead first with their GOP platform. The GOP platform names the word Clinton five times. Okay, right. The name Clinton is in there five sure. times. And four of them, as far as I can understand and, and I've seen, are references to her husband, Hillary's husband, Bill. Okay, right. One of them is a reference to Hillary when she was Secretary of State. Right. You compare that to the Democratic platform. You've got thirty-two mentions of Trump, <laughs> Donald Trump, thirty-two, and uh, there. Now he uh, claims on Twitter. I think I saw a tweet from uh, him today that she spoke about him twenty-two times last night during her speech. Thirty-two. So they are making it very clear. They thirty-two times
1: about in, in a fifty-one page document. That's that's once every page and a half. Donald hey, it's Trump is a mention. So they made it a very political, like. And it's interesting because I think that here's 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 where it's 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 both understandable yet unusual. It's unusual in that you don't normally have somebody pointing out the 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 name of the the opposing candidate within the document, within the platform document. That's that's unusual. Here's where where it makes sense, though, to me. For people who who are like me, who have issues with serious issues with Donald Trump and are not ready to pull the lever for him. I thought you were going to and, stop at who have issues. <laughs> and then the, and then the never Trumpers, right? Donald Trump is a major issue. He himself is a major issue. And so they, they are treating him as though he's one of the issues upon which they're debating. Not simply. He's the, he's the opposition, but actually he is the issue on which they are campaigning. And, and the fact is, and you, I've said this before, we are in a very sad state of affairs in America when the two when the two candidates campaigns number one argument for their campaign is the other candidate.
2: <laughs> it's true. And but that's the reality of where we are right now. Yeah. Um yeah. and I do think it's interesting. I mean, they, they say things like, quote, Democrats will not stand for the divisive and derogatory language of Donald Trump. Another line says, Donald Trump may talk tough, but he has consistently outsourced his own products. And yep. so they're going right after him. And of course, Donald's loving this. He's tweeting yeah. about it, you know, on Friday, the day yeah. after, talking about how ridiculous it is. And I'm coming up with some good quips and responses back. So now she had one great line. I mean, she had some good lines okay, last so, night. So, tell good me, tell, tell me, Tell me one of the lines
1: because I didn't. I, to be honest, I didn't really watch it. Oh, what was it? It was
2: um, hold on. I'm gonna find it. No, you're not. I am right no, now because no. it was good. It was like if you can burn. Um, oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Anyway, it, it was basically if you can burn Donald Trump with a tweet, <laughs> he can't be trusted to you know have the nuclear codes. But he, she said it. <laughs> I, real, did I, mean, it was really I did. It was really. I did hear that one. I did hear that yeah. one. Yeah. I was like, oh wow, that was good, Hillary. Your speechwriters are are on. Today they are on Target.
1: Um, oh, here's the here's the here's the quote that she gave. A man you can bait with a tweet is not a man we can trust with nuclear weapons. Yeah, there you go.
2: Um, and and that, she's speaking back to that tweet, delete your account, which also was very immature. So it's like, you know, look, you can't let's not act like you baited Donald Trump. We all know if you if you fart his name, he's going to speak. Yeah, out, about know, it, right? and, and so, you know, saying delete your account is going to spark something. So it's I mean, come on, Hillary. Uh, but you know, I, but the
1: fact I, look, that that's where our debate has gone though, for the president of the freaking United States of America. But isn't she is responsible that for that it's, too? It's, right? It's like, exclusive. delete your account both but I mean, of them. Yeah, they are. But I mean, the fact that the the nominee for the Democratic Party and the nominee for the Republican Party are—I mean, are the, sh- the, the debate is over. It's over it. their Twitter feed. I mean, get a freaking clue, people. <laughs> we are so freaking screwed.
2: We've been Kardashianized. We That's been. What this I mean, is.
1: and by screwed out. I, I, listen, it's not the end of the republic. I really don't. I'm not. I'm not on the disaster train.
2: But this, this does
3: not, Neither of this,
1: them this,
2: is going to. <laughs> neither of them is going to destroy the country. This, I will say that. I know this some this, of you out there think they will. I don't think either of them is going to destroy the company. I, country. I think they'll uh, definitely take the country in a direction maybe that w- this, we would this, want it. How about this? Does not bode well. <laughs> I can't.
1: God almighty.
2: Do you know what's really depressing also, though? Uh, I sent a million tweets last night. I probably annoyed everybody. Um, And I've just decided that I'm going to laugh about all this. I'm sending inappropriate jokes and whatever. I'm thinking, okay, the one that goes, that does the best is the ridiculous gif of Hillary and Donald Trump as cartoon characters dancing. It got like hundreds of retweets. And I'm like, is this a joke? Is this a joke? Really? We
1: are.
2: It's National Chicken Wing Day, by the way. Good job Good
1: job, America, by the way. Just it's kudos. <laughs> kudos, America. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, we are a twisted people, but you know, I look, it is what it is at this point. But oh, I have to say though, I love that remember the whole little Marco thing <laughs> yes. that now Trump has moved on to little Michael Bloomberg. Which he tweeted, little Michael Bloomberg, who never had the guts to run for president, knows nothing about me. His last term as mayor was a disaster. And it's like, all right, Trump is on to something for once. Oh, jeez. Um and he's and he no longer I mean, I shouldn't say no longer, but I, I
1: think last night during the speech he was you know, he always calls Hillary crooked Hillary. Now he's just referring to her as crooked. Now the, now crooked's out there saying such and such and such. <laughs> i mean, this sorry. Is, I mean, this, I, but these are the people who, one of these, as you like to remind me, one of these two will be president. And what are they talking about? Well,
2: I need to call you, you got me crooked on Twitter, so delete your account. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty depressing. Yeah, and, I, but like, I mean, honestly, during her coronation ceremony last night, I really felt like, there were, look. I, do I feel like she's genuine? No, but I think she did deliver a good speech. Feel free to tweet me and disagree, I, people. I, but I, I, I thought did. it was a good speech.
1: I, it's, it's terrible. But the other, so you wrote about. Excuse me. As, there, as the platform was being constructed, and you were seeing drafts of the platform, one of the things you pointed out was that the Democrats were insisting in in their platform for this year are insisting on the repeal of the Hyde Amendment. Now, tell people what the Hyde Amendment is and why this is extremely interesting. Pardon me.
2: Both policy-wise and politically, because of her running mate. So the Hyde Amendment—it's not a permanent law. It's—it's it's a um, essentially a rider, I guess. that attaches to spending bills, and it basically says—and it's this started in the late 1970s. I think it was 1976. It basically says that you know, hey, you're not going to use federal money um, to. Pay for abortions unless, and then there's the popular, you know, caveats. If there's a rape, incest, or I think the life of the mother. I'm pretty sure those those are the three. Originally, it was just the life of the mother, and I think rape and incest were added by Bill Clinton. Well, Bill Clinton signed them into into law, I think, in the 1990s for the first time. But but those are the three. Now the Hyde Amendment apparently is controversial because the Democrats have basically opened the floodgates on abortion. Uh, Planned Parenthood is wherever there's a Democratic presidential candidate, Planned Parenthood is not far behind, and so. You know, we saw Planned Parenthood having a very stark presence at the convention this week. In fact, I'm pretty sure Cecile Richards, the head of Planned Parenthood, was two seats down from Bill Clinton a couple of nights well, Planned ago. Planned Parenthood when I was came watching. out
1: and endorsed a candidate for the first time ever, right? Isn't that what no? They was, endorsed Obama too. Did they? I thought this was the first like
2: official endorsement from Planned Parenthood itself. But you know what? It may have been. I think you're right. Cecile Richards actually. But and here's the thing: right. Cecile Richards stopped working for Planned Parenthood and took a leave of absence. If I, I, I could be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure she did. And went to work for Obama so right. what's the difference I think you know, <laughs> at that point it's like yeah. well if your head has left and yeah. she's now moved on to work with Obama's campaign and then came back after I, right. that's still an endorsement to yeah. me but but yeah this may be the first look Either way, at the end of the day, what you have is this amendment, this Hyde Amendment that has been in law for decades. The Democrats now, in their platform, have said they want to overturn the Hyde Amendment, and right. because it's not a permanent law, it's kind of interesting. You basically just have to refuse to sign spending bills, I guess, that have right. <laughs> spend you know, that have that have the Hyde Amendment attached to them. Right. Um, now they've said they want to overturn this, but you have Tim Kaine as somebody who. While he personally apparently opposes abortion, has been pro-choice in terms of policy. He has always a, he has always supported the Hyde Amendment as right, far as as right. far as I know. And now the Clinton campaign claims he's reversed course right, on this. Right, no, but he publicly
1: right. Go so ahead. That, that's the amazing thing is that, so he has publicly talked about how he supports the Hyde Amendment, and the and the Susan B. Anthony list has documented all these things, and he's, he's he has said no public financing of for abortions. He said he said this in May. Of last year, those are my values, and that's what I believe. And then the Democratic Party has has come out and said they they want to repeal the Hyde Amendment this year in their platform this year. And so now, like, there's all this equiv- equivocation. And uh, is a it's, uh, Bobby right? Bobby Mook, uh, something yeah, something Mook. I think Bobby so. Bobby Mook, the Cam- Clinton campaign manager, has come out and said that that uh, that t- Tim Kaine. He's a, he's currently a senator. He was the governor of Virginia. Now he's a, he's a U.S. senator has said he's going to stand by Secretary Clinton to defend a woman's right to choose and to repeal the Hyde Amendment. This is the Clinton campaign manager has come out and said that her running mate, Tim Kaine, will stand by her to repeal the Hyde Amendment. And so he was asked about this on on CNN, excuse me, today, and here's what, or Friday, here's what Tim Kaine said.
3: One more issue, Senator, the Hyde Amendment Mm -hmm. that bans taxpayer funding for abortion, Mm -hmm. for or against it? Uh, I have been uh, for the Hyde Amendment. I haven't changed my position on that. You're still for it. You're still for I, the. I have banning. not changed my posi- no, not position. Um, have Senator- not changed my position on that. Thank you for that clarity. Um, <laughs> he keeps so, saying it. So he he
1: keeps saying it. He's essentially saying the. Cl- I don't know how else to. I don't know how else to read this. The Clinton campaign, her Clinton campaign manager, has lied about his position on the Hyde Amendment. If the Clinton campaign manager, representing the Clinton campaign, is saying that that Tim Kaine is going to stand by Secretary Clinton to repeal the Hyde Amendment, and Kaine says, "I am, I have always stood by the the Hyde Amendment. I have not wavered in that, and I am not changing my position," he's essentially saying that Hillary's team is lying.
2: Well, and that, that also Crooked, points Crooked Hillary, to some Crooked chaos. Crooked,
1: Crooked, Crooked Hillary's team. <laughs> yeah, and that, it would that, point. That, it would point to apparently some internal chaos, or. Or and this is the other thing that's very that's also very believable. He is open to changing the, his position on the Hyde Amendment. He has changed his position on the Hyde Men. It It's always been a political thing for him to say for him to support. And as vice president, as as a vice presidential running mate, he's going to go out and say that he still supports it, but he doesn't really. That has always just been a political cover for him in the first place. Since he was coming from a fairly conservative state of you know of Virginia when he when he was governor, and the and the fact is. He's moving. If he gets elected vice president, which he will, because Hillary's going to win, he will go from being in a position in the Senate where his position on the Hyde Amendment matters to being a vice president where his position on the Hyde Amendment doesn't matter. So,
2: um, well, I don't think he will be vice president unless Donald Trump changes his mind and gets rid of Pence and puts him in, because <laughs> I think Trump is going to win. But <laughs> the the fact of the matter here is that. You know, you have a situation which just shows us how ugly politics is, right? right. Somebody who has a viewpoint they've had for their whole life. Um, and, and and look, some of the people running for president on both sides have known to fl- have been known to fly with the wind. As huh. soon as a poll changes, they change. Huh. And so, earned. I mean, look, this is not something I'm saying. This is something that fact checkers have repeatedly right. said. Right. And, and right. specifically on gay marriage when it comes to Hillary Clinton. Because yeah. the Clintons, and this is crazy because, I, you know, I'm working on another book. And one of the topics we, I get into gay marriage the Clintons specifically were responsible, Bill, mainly, for signing into law all of the things that gay activist groups hate and right. wanted overturned, right. and many of the things that were overturned, in <laughs> fact, in the last year. And the thing that blew my mind the most was that there was a joint statement in 2013 that Bill and Hillary put out right. about uh, when, when DOMA was first struck down. Right. Um, and in the statement, they're praising the Supreme Court for striking it down. Right. They're so happy there's equality. Right. And I'm laughing to myself because I'm thinking, these people yep. are the ones that made sure right. Doma was law right well but anyway they, that's but, they we're never, at, but, but they never
1: meant it they campaigned on it they never they never meant it and that's the and that's probably the fact but you know and but you know and trump as as we have documented on this show and other and other people have even more mm-hmm. uh, adequately and eloquently than we have trump has done some major flip-flopping as well totally. on supreme court totally. justices on on gun rights on gay rights on abortion on every issue, on every, issue. every issue you can think of he has changed his mind and flip-flopped
2: on, including, by the way, illegal immigration, which is something that he is supposedly really strong. Well, on. Well, even right the now. Muslim ban. I mean, hey. now, now it's, oh, well, we're going to look a little harder at some of the countries where they're coming from, which I right. think is a policy that he knows right. more people Mr. would support.
1: Mr. Build-A-Wall-and-Keep-Out-The-Illegals uh, actually hired illegals, so that's really weird. So, you know, there's all <laughs> sorts of things. I love that. Uh, yeah, well, Hillary hit him on all those things. I mean, yeah. that's why I think it was Good effective. For her. She, hit him on she had to. Thing. She had to. I mean, that's that's smart politics. Smart politics for him is to remind the world that she is a criminal, and that the Supreme Court is at stake. Smart politics for her is to point out everything about Donald Trump. I mean, she's got way
2: more material to work with than he does. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And anyway. you know what though? There's something about him that people like. There's yeah, an Obama effect I I here. I there know. is an Obama effect in many ways. But there's also w- what, which is which is the orator and the personality
1: thing. But what they liked about Obama was the savior complex. What what people are liking about Trump is the fact that he's giving the finger to Washington.
2: But I think they the think there's a savior complex in that. I mean, oh, there I think, is a savior think, complex think, in that.
1: I don't think he's running necessarily. He's running on a strong man complex, a strongman you know mindset rather than a savior mindset. But I think that the people who are supporting him see him as a savior slash strong man. I don't,
2: neither of which is comforting. Well, when a country feels weakened and a people feel weakened, and I know I've said this to a lot of my liberal friends and they've laughed at it, but this is the reality. When people feel weakened or that their country has been portrayed in a sense that is not strong to the rest of the world, they are looking for somebody who is going to be strong, even rhetorically. And that's right. what Trump does. I know. He looks know. strong. He sounds but strong. But his,
1: his strong strongman statements... As as in how he's going to fix something and only he can do it. That is strongman kind of stuff. You're talking, you know, Central South America kind of strongman nonsense, and garbage. Well, you know what are you going to do? What, uh, we got it. We need We need know, the music. What, it's time to. Why don't transition. we? We will transition, but because we are obligated, uh, we need to take a break and come right back. Is that okay? Ugh, I guess. Okay, we'll be right back.
3: Attention.
0: realestateagentsitrust.com
3: The Church Boys Man, I hate these guys
2: It's me, Chris, and I'm here to talk about a beautiful interview that we did That's me, Billy That's me, Billy
1: me, Billy, I just uh, wanted to tell you I just love it here and I just love
2: my co-hosts and I just love everybody. You're becoming, you're becoming my mother, I see. <laughs> um well look, we've this we've got Laura, an interview for you. Stop talking. This
0: is, is Laurel. Well, this <laughs> delete, <mother>. your <laughs> delete
2: your account. Delete your account. Um but we have an interview that we did with with an author named Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, and she's got a new book out called Home. Oh, hold on. <sighs> <sighs> Sorry, that's not a reflection of Elise. Um, that's just me being tired. But no, she's she's got a new book out called Home, and it's kind of interesting. It's about the new heaven and the new earth, and you know, not it's not like an end times focused book in terms of like what I what I did. But so it's, it's not, more of an,
1: it's not one of those books that the soundtrack would be dun dun dun.
2: It's not that kind of book. It's not. It, Unlike it's a the a good code. About home, you know, where is home, and what is okay. what is Christians' inevitable final home going to be? And, and it so call, it's the new it, heaven and the new earth. Is it, it called? It, is it called home? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. And so Elise uh, talked with us about the book, about what she believes. We talked about things like is there marriage in heaven <laughs> and all that, right? Which I actually think is something that people really struggle with. This notion of God gives you marriage on earth, and it's this beautiful thing, and then right. you're not going to have that later, allegedly, right? <laughs> but um, did Jesus.
1: What, was asked that question specifically by people trying to trap him, and he said, "What are you worried about?" I mean, that, that's—I mean, it's already that question has already
2: been asked and answered in Scripture. But I think, right? But I think the by answer God. people aren't, aren't comfortable with. I think that's the. You know, a lot of people struggle with that that's answer. God, gave, that's a reality. God, Jesus wasn't clear. No, no, he was clear, but I think people don't like it. I think I think that's the notion how, of not—I don't care that people. <laughs> Yeah, but look, but I think But I think the human, I don't and, like and the I would imagine the, an understanding like, God would understand right, that, right, right? That people would struggle like, with the idea think, of not being with that person later on. I, don't, I, th- I don't like I think the that answer. from a human perspective, that's understandable. I
1: think, uh, I think from someone unfamiliar with the teachings of Christ, I could understand that. <laughs>
2: that's like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. America. I've struggled with that. Uh, I mean, know okay. you're li- but I, I think it's... I think it's a struggle. I do, I, and I think it's
1: a struggle for people and who... I understand, but I here's why I'm laughing, right? Because we do this all the time. I'm really not a, I'm, I'm really not comfortable with the answer God gave, so could someone else explain a different answer that I'm more comfortable with?
2: Right? Well, I think... That's, that's what look, I'm There's laughing a lot about of things we don't we do understand, right? And, right? and I do... Some people, well, why now? Why can't you have that later on? Why can't you have marriage well, why later why on? Why wouldn't you? God set it up? I mean, those are the questions of life, right? Right. Um, but, you know, not being... <laughs> like you're saying, not being comfortable with something doesn't mean that you... But I think, but I also think it's healthy to say I'm not comfortable with this. I need right. to understand it more and right, to pray and, think, and ask, I and ask think for that understanding. Having
1: better understanding of what Christ said or what what you know what's what has stated in the Bible, I think a better understanding is is a good thing. But simply saying I need a different answer because I'm not comfortable with the answer God gave, that's a very typical human thing to do. Oh, right? totally. No. And that's what I'm I laughing think, about. Is the that idea
2: well look i mean some of these things are uh, you know just like reading through um you know ephesians and, and you look through the bible right. and romans and other places and you know that this debate about predestination and does god know what you're going to decide or does god predestine people based on some right. mysterious you know his own mysterious will right. that we don't understand those are these are things i think that's another big area of struggle for people right yeah. um yeah. and trying to understand what's going on there i've always been more of the mind of god kind of knows what you're going to decide and and he makes his will sort of center around that. But that may not be true. Um, I don't know. But anyway, let's,
1: you know what, you know what I know that God does want. I know that God wants everyone to read Armageddon code. That is true. I do know that. That is true. Anyway, no, I interrupt, true. I interrupted your eloquent introduction of this new book. So
2: No, I've been rambling about this this poor woman's like, just play my interview. Would you please just play um, the interview for crap's sake. <laughs> so this is Elise Fitzpatrick and we are going to roll it. Okay. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys Podcast, and I have author Elise Fitzpatrick on the line. How are you doing today?
3: I'm great. Thanks, Billy. Glad to be here. So I have
2: uh, so many questions for you about your new book, which comes out August 2nd, and the title is Home, How Heaven and the New Earth Satisfy Our Deepest Longings. Um, this is a topic that's fascinating to me because I just actually wrapped – my book came out May 2nd and or May 3rd, and it was called Armageddon Code, and it was about the end times debate um, that you know continues to go on and on and on. And, and the book's premise was not – I'm not a theologian, so it wasn't me saying – this is what's going to happen. This is what I think. It was me interviewing everybody out there, the biggest experts about what they believe and why they don't agree. Um, uh-huh. And so I'm fascinated by by that subject, and I'm fascinated by the this notion of a, of the new earth and what that means. And I think a lot of people on some of these topics, and not just not just end times, but heaven, hell. You know, all of these things. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of people don't necessarily know. So I love that you've di- you've sort of dove into this subject matter um, in a really interesting way. So let's just start with um, I think a basic question of asking why did you write the book?
3: Thanks. Um, I wrote the book because I actually wrote it out of order. I was supposed to write another book before I wrote this one, but. I felt really pressed into writing this book because I had gone through and actually am continuing to go through a pretty difficult time personally and so let's say that for the last year and a half I have gone through uh, a time of stripping that really made me in some ways long for my life in eternity but you know, we call heaven um, had made me long for that in ways I had not longed for it before. But the problem was that I, even though I've been a Christian for mm, nearly five decades and uh, and have a and have a upper level theological degree, I really didn't understand um, what it was that I was headed towards. And so I thought, well, I better do some work here. And I began reading. And, uh, and that was what really pushed me into writing this book because I was pretty desperate for hope beyond this world.
2: And that's a really honest answer. And I, and I appreciate that. I think that's something that a lot of us sort of think about and deal with at different points when we're going through something difficult specifically. Um, when you know we talk about – you just mentioned the things that you're going through. We talk about this broader narrative of what the world is going through, and it's fascinating to me. You can talk to different people and even different Christians depending on where they come from, whether it's a more conservative or a progressive you know, background, and you can get two totally different assessments of what's happening um, right now in society and then in a broader sense in the world. I think you know, my personal sense has been that things – something doesn't feel quite right. Um, across the board. Right. And I think I think most Christians are feeling that, where there's this inkling of what's happening here. Everything seems broken and disjointed in every part of society and culture. And so I guess I would ask you, what, what do you think is going on in our world right now?
3: Um, you know, it's interesting, because I guess it's the way that you look at it. Um, we certainly are going, particularly, I think, in Western civilization, Europe and America, um, we are going through a very difficult time uh, on, lo- on loads of different levels, you know, uh, certainly politically, um, uh, militarily, uh, with the rise again of, uh, of Islam, um, and then, of course, with the fall of a lot of what we might call celebrity pastors mm-hmm. um, you know, and and even in my own church, um, I certainly did not have a celebrity pastor, but uh, my pastor had to step down. And um, so, yeah, we're seeing that everywhere, I think, in ways we hadn't seen it before. And, you know, if, if you look at it sort of historically, uh, you know, Muslims or uh, people who profess Islam uh, m- killing Christians or even Buddhists or people of other faiths, is certainly not something that's new. I mean, that's been going on for thousands of years, which was one of the reasons why the Church eventually responded with the Crusades, which certainly are not something to be proud of. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, but you know, that's why they responded that way, it was because the Ottoman Turks were coming into Europe and slaughtering people. So, you know, on one hand, we want to say this really isn't that new as far as historically. On the other hand, we want to say it really does seem like it's heating up here in Western civilization, and and particularly here in America. Uh, I mean, I, I think everybody just sort of wakes up and, and sort of groans when they see what the news is again today. And that is a concern to me primarily because, you know, Jesus said, when... Uh, lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. And my concern is that we not become apathetic in the light of the bad news we're getting every single day and uh, and the lawlessness that we're seeing all around us. I mean, when did you ever hear of uh, policemen being slaughtered on the streets or... Uh, the political situation that's going on, what we want to do is be careful that uh, we keep our hope in front of us. And the hope in front of us is not for this world per se, not as we see it right now, but for the world to come.
2: Yeah, no and I think that that is and it's almost my my next book project and you'll appreciate this because it was supposed to be my first book project just like what <laughs> happened to you. Um is kind of about how the informational channels have really been dominated by a sentiment mm-hmm. that turns our attention away from faith and away from Christianity and you know whether it's universities or entertainment or media how we've sort of been we've bred a generation at least of millennials and I am in the upper end of the millennial scale who Kind of don't think about those things in a traditional way because we are distracted and there's so much going on. And I think the bad news is another part of that um, that can be very discouraging. And so when we talk about home, what the ultimate home is for everybody—not the houses we live in, but you know where we will all end up when all is said and done—what can you tell us you know, about that and and about just your research and, and putting this book together? What you found?
3: Yeah, you know, I think that when you talk to most Christians and you ask them, what will eternity be like? What will they say? They say, well, we're going to be in heaven and we'll be with Jesus and we'll, you know, it's going to be kind of like an eternity-long worship service or something. And then there's also that whole floating on a cloud thing, which, you know, is really not a Christian construct at all. And so... Before we actually talk about the new earth, we want to talk about the intermediate state, which is the state of uh, our souls after we die, before the resurrection. So when we die, we go to what Jesus called paradise. What he also called Abraham's bosom, where we are, in essence, disembodied. And I think in one way, that's kind of how a lot of people think about heaven and the new Earth and what they're going to be doing. They think they're going to always be disembodied souls, sort of floating around somewhere in the cosmos. And that's actually not um, that's not our permanent state, though. That is just an intermediate state that we will be at until the return of Jesus. And, you know, honestly, where you want to put that in your eschatological timeline uh, is fine with me. This book really isn't about that. I have my own views on it, but I think that that's really something that, so many Christians you know believing Christians have pretty different views on I didn't really want to talk about that I wanted to talk about what happens after that and what happens after that Jesus returns and we uh, we get our DNA back <laughs> we get our bodies back we get um, we become physical once again and not only are we physical once again, but we also go to, are brought to, the new earth. And, you know, when Jesus returns, he will certainly uh, scrub this earth. But I have a hard time believing that the world, that actually the universe, that God created and called very good, is going to be completely thrashed and done away with because of satan's attack on it rather i think that in the way that god cleansed the earth with the flood with noah he will cleanse this earth make remake it make it new again make it beautiful again the way it was before the fall and we will then in our physical bodies live on this earth forever And, you know, in one sense, we sort of think, well, you know, I don't know that I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that's going to be great. But what's going to be really great about it, I mean, think about this, you'll be able to talk with people you've wanted to talk to, or maybe even people you don't even know exist or existed, uh, you'll be able to talk with them, uh, sit around, have wonderful conversations with people who have loved the Lord, you can hear about the Lord from them, and then maybe while we're sitting around talking someday, the Lord himself will come walking up and he'll say... uh, oh, children, and we'll say, well, yes, hello, Lord. Uh, we were actually just talking about you. And he'll say something like, well, I've brought lunch. Let's have a picnic. I mean, that's how physical and concrete it's going to be. And then, and then just to get a picture of what our bodies will be like, you know, Paul talks about our bodies being like seeds. And, you know, if you think about Like, think about an acorn, and how when an acorn, when you look at it, it looks like nothing. But when you plant it in the ground, and it grows, it produces this beautiful oak tree, which, where I live in Southern California, we have loads of these oak trees. And they're so beautiful, and strong, and big. And um, in the same way, our bodies are like that seed, and Jesus plants us in the ground. And we will grow from the DNA that was ours. We will grow into ourselves, but much more than ourselves. Stronger, wiser, more beautiful, not omniscient. We'll still have the great joy of being able to learn and work and explore, and nothing will ever be boring again.
2: What you know, all of this—it's so fascinating because I know one of the number one questions, and I'm sure you've encountered this or thought about it or had people ask you—is you know, is there marriage in the new earth? You know, do, are you married to the person you were married to when you were alive? And the same goes for heaven when you die. You know, which, which, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, the idea here is that is that heaven and earth um, are obviously separate places. You you go to heaven when you die. It's an intermediate space. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth that I would assume is one. In, in this instance. Uh-huh. But but take me through uh-huh. that. And I guess so I guess the before you take me through it, the other question, you know, is there marriage? I mean, how can we know that? Is it something we can't know?
3: Yeah, so, you know, Jesus taught us to pray about heaven and earth becoming one. You know, let heaven come to earth. And that's exactly what's going to happen happen. Heaven and earth will be joined. And you know, one other thing about that, and then let's talk about the marriage issue. Um, you know, when the Bible talks about the word heaven, it talks about it actually in a couple of different ways. It talks about heaven in the sense of, you know, the sky and the planets and where the birds are and all of that. And we know that there is a heaven that's a different dimension than that, because the Bible tells us that when when God created, that God created the heavens and the earth, therefore, You know, God wasn't homeless before he created the heavens. So in one sense, the Bible talks about heaven as being uh, that sort of place up above us. And then in another sense, the Bible talks about heaven as the dimension that God lives in. And so we want to you know it's like yuri gagarin the cosmonaut goes off into space and basically comes back and reports that there is no god because he didn't see one <laughs> well we're not we're not going to see god on the horsehead nebula god is in a different dimension but that dimension that heaven that heaven and earth will become one so then what happens to us on earth when we are reconstituted, if you will, resurrected with new bodies, will we know people? Yes, of course we will. Will we be married? Well, you know, Jesus talked about that, and he said that in heaven, people are not given in marriage. In other words, there's no marriage in, in heaven. Now, I've been married for almost, well, actually 43 years, and... um And I'm sure that Phil and I, my husband, are going to be great friends in heaven. But heaven is, and heaven won't be genderless. In other words, women will be women and men will be men. But the sexuality that goes along with gender, I think, is done away with because we'll no longer procreate or try to... uh, fill the earth with more people all of the all of God's people will be there on earth so you know to answer your question will will we get married no will we know who our husband or wife is yes will we know who our friends are and i'm quite sure that phil and i are going to spend an eternity sort of hanging out together learning new things exploring things worshiping god certainly um, and we will know each other and, uh, and get to spend eternity together without ever having to say goodbye. And, you know, that, that thought of never having to say goodbye is so precious. You know, my husband is uh, 66, and, you know, we've been married for a long time, but eventually, unless the Lord returns, one of us is going to have to say goodbye to the other. And once we get to the new earth, though, Billy, think of that. Never having to say goodbye to people you love. And and knowing, and knowing that we have all the time in the world to uh, talk, to uh, explore, to learn, to worship, to do all of the things that Adam and Eve were commanded to do in the Garden of Eden before
2: the fall. Now let me ask you because I think this is all I- incredibly fascinating, and I'm sure you're going to have people who have already tried to debate you on some of this, or say, "Oh, well, what about this? What about that?" I think with all of this, that's the nature of the complexity and sort of and sure. how and how it's addressed and talked about. But when we talk about a lot of the heavenly tourism books, which have gotten a lot of positive press and some negative press over the years as well, specifically the last year or two. Um, what do you think some of those books missed? Do you believe the stories? you know heaven is for real? do you not? Just take me through your perspective on some of that
3: yeah i i what I want to do first of all um, if we're if we're going to talk about something that no one has seen except there are certain reliable sources um then we need to we need to hang with the reliable sources. And what, are the, what is the reliable source? The reliable source, as far as I'm concerned, is the Bible. And so the Bible tells me what uh, heaven will be like. The Bible gives me an, as much information as God thinks I need about it. Um, now, if there are people who say that they have an out-of-body experience, um, I, You know, who am I to say that didn't happen to you? But whether or not we can say that that experience is actually um, what we will experience when we actually die, um, I'm, not, I'm not willing to say that. What mm-hmm. I'm willing to say is there are certain people who the Holy Spirit has given understanding to, revelation to, and those are the people that I'm going to trust when I think about what heaven's going to be like. So, you know, am I willing to say uh, I, don't, I don't believe what they've said? They certainly, they certainly believe something happened to them. I don't know what that is. I certainly would not build any kind of faith of theology around it.
2: Well, yeah, I think, and I think that's um, that's fascinating. Who knows? I mean, some of these things could be visions that God is giving people, or experiences that He's giving them to build, help build faith in others. Maybe they're not the actual, you know, an actual heaven experience. Maybe it's the way that they're interpreting it. I, I've heard a million different theories. Everything from these are fake to um, no, they might be real. But but here are the things that could be happening. I think it's a fa- It's all very fascinating. Um, And I guess we've talked about so much here. I think just the last uh, question I have for you is, what are you hoping people take away from the book?
3: What I'm hoping people take away from the book is encouragement and comfort and hope. Again, back to what we were talking about, because we're living in such a difficult time, I think it's very easy for us to lose hope. And particularly, maybe in America, we think, well, if we could just elect the right person, then uh, that person will make everything fine for us. And to really, in some ways, put aside that kind of thinking, that's not to say that we shouldn't be involved in politics. I think we should. But nothing is going to make this world into the new earth until Jesus returns. And so what I want to say to people is be encouraged. This life is difficult. Certainly the people who walked through this life in Hebrews 11, they were looking forward to a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. And and they understood that they were exiles, that they were sojourners, that they were people on a journey, and that their roots should not go down into this present age, but rather into the age to come, so that they would have hope, and encouragement.
2: Well, listen, this has been great, and we will make sure we link out to the book and we'll hopefully have you back on again to discuss some of this because I think it's absolutely fascinating.
3: Great. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
1: Back to the da- da- church boys. Alright, we are back for just a few more minutes here and uh, we want to close with a story our, our friend Mikey Weinstein has made the news again and it's really not it's not fair to say that Mikey has made the news but this is a Mikey Weinstein Weinstein or Weinstein? Weinstein? Weinstein, Weinstein. I think Steen is right Mikey Weinstein, I, I, I think it's an, issue, it, it, it's an issue obviously in his wheelhouse and he has now joined, the, just a second, just a moment Very professional podcast we have here I'm going to answer the phone while we're on air oh my goodness hello fields
2: hi is this for real
1: can you hear that yeah dun 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 is that hillary guys hillary is on the phone with chris it's some ad your vote for republicans will help defeat the democrats like jay Inslee. oh Stay no to a state income
2: tax. Well, I agree with that. All right. So Are you guys it? going to end up with a state income tax? No. Ugh, I wish bad it bad. would so yeah. you could suffer with me.
1: <laughs> Washington, Washington State has no state income tax. We have a a sales ta- a significant sales tax, but what's your what is your significant sales tax? I think here where I live, I think we pay about seven point eight percent. Okay, we pay eight. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it varies To everything it else It varies around the state There's a state income tax And then different counties And municipalities Can add to it And I think ours Is at about Is close to 8% It's seven
2: and a half, eight percent 8% Probably, probably, probably River princess. You know you really get screwed If you live in Yonkers Or New York City Because then you've got The sales tax The in- state income tax And you have the New York City tax Or the Yonkers tax Which is another 3% Well
1: they have a Like a city A city yeah. income
2: tax Or is it a city Yeah yeah The city uh, pays, it, pays, a, pays an income tax <sighs> Gross. And and so does Yonkers. I paid it when I lived in Yonkers. So did Andrea. So did my wife. So yeah, you can Yonkers you definitely... isn't it
1: Yonkers and Music Man.
2: Uh yeah, probably. A lot of famous people have lived in Yonkers. Is it Yonkers oh.
1: as music man? I think it's Yonkers.
2: Because it goes to Gary,
1: Indiana. But I think there's a like a train stop in Yonkers, or is Yonkers on another musical?
2: I don't know. Um it's on it's there is it is in another musical, but I can't remember. All right, so anyway, so I interrupted, I interrupted, and
1: and now I've totally gotten everything off the rails. Now, we were talking about something Mikey had got. Oh, yes, this Air Force ceremony hubbub. Tell, tell people about this, because you're more familiar with this issue than I am, because, frankly, you care more than I do. But so, I might chime in with questions just for you to help
2: for, to explain it so that a dummy like me can get it. So this guy... Um He's retired from the Air Force, Oscar Rodriguez. He has come to do these speeches during flag-folding ceremonies, and flag-folding ceremonies happen at different events, funerals, retirement parties. Um, he's given this speech apparently 100 times. He has his own you know, speech mapped out. It mentions God. Um, it talks about the flag. It talks about freedom, the country, love for America, all of that. Um, one of his friends approached him, and he was retiring, and he said, hey, you know, Oscar, would you be willing to speak at my retirement during the flag-folding? ceremony uh rodriguez says okay he goes to do it but before he goes to do it apparently this is the claim now we only have one side of the story um uh, the commander of his friend who's retiring finds out that god is going to be mentioned in this message and he tells the guy not to, he tells rodriguez do not show up don't you do dare
1: t- don't you dare <laughs> do
2: not do not give the speech do not give the speech and apparently um oscar rodriguez claims that he and his friend had gone and, and they had said hey you know what if we post notices on the door letting people know that god's right. going to be, be mentioned what if we let people know um they made a decision that he would show up anyway to deliver the speech because his friend wanted him to do that for his retirement party so the guy gets up to give the speech he shows up mm. and oscar walks up he starts giving it and these well, military guys and you uni- not even before, before he even before says he anything. starts
1: to speak he just stands there and they they know what's coming so these guys in in camo walk up and they stand right in front of him
2: facing him <laughs> and then they drag him out of the room oh, while, while he's, he's delivering the speech um so and this is on video so we so have this on video what's now the,
1: what's the problem
2: the pro it's it's confusing the problem is that god was mentioned right and he was told not to show up now the air force responded to this pretty swiftly within 72 hours and they said because first liberty institute a law firm got involved um and and they said you know what we are going to change our regulations to allow for religious speech i think the actual it says air force air force personnel may use flag folding ceremony script that is religious for retirement ceremonies now Again, this guy's retired, Oscar Rodriguez, so he's not really personnel of the Air Force anymore. Right, um, and he was, and he was the one giving that speech. So they're going to change the they're going to change the regulations. Of course, Mikey is not happy with this. He is saying that yeah. the current regulations do not allow Air Force personnel to deliver any other speech outside of what the Air Force has mapped out. A speech is not required during the flag folding, but it must be a script if they're going to give that speech. So but he's that's right, but, that's, but, that's
1: when, but I mean the regulation as it is now during the flag see where here's where I think. You just when you're having the flag folding, shut up during the flag folding because apparently you can say whatever you want before and after, just not during the flag folding. Except the 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 Air Force is changing that, but the regulation was that Air Force personnel can only say this specific script while the flag is being folded. Mentions nothing about non-personnel, so Mikey's well, probably reading that as that means that only personnel, Army or military personnel, can speak, and they if they do speak, they may
2: only say this. But here's what the code says: It says that there is no specific meaning assigned to the folding of the flag. Although there are flag folding ceremonies options offered by various national interest groups these are not official air force ceremonies the air force developed a script that provides a historical perspective on the flag but there wasn't are no this an official in the air force requiring a script to be read right but it wasn't says, this an official one yes this was an official one so then, well it was an official retirement ceremony i guess i mean um but the flag folding itself is not part of any official... It's not required for any official ceremony. It says these are not official Air Force ceremonies. But, so if you far, choose to include it... But as far as the regulations
1: stood as, the, as they existed, when the incident happened, the Air Force guys who removed Oscar were in the right and Oscar was in the wrong, strictly going by the regulation of the Air Force. I don't is know that,
2: because... No, I don't know. Because of the that's fact a, that he's not a, personnel, he can do right. whatever he wants... That's what's up in the air because the flag ceremony is not a requirement for any event if you're choosing to put it in and you don't – if you're not making – if somebody in the Air Force, if one of those guys had gotten up and they were active and they had spoken, they would have had to use the script but Oscar was not in the Air Force at the time. He's not an employee, and this is an optional ceremony, right? right. So it's confusing. I think the answer is it's up in the air. Hmm. Now, First Liberty would say, no, he did nothing wrong, right. um, and, and Mikey would say, well, he wasn't supposed to, but either way, right. the Air Force says this is a stupid rule. We're changing the regulations. Mikey doesn't like that. He's saying they should have abided by the regulations that were there. I would say like a Facebook status of a person in the middle of a divorce, it's complicated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's and i guess that's where we'll leave it um so it's it's time for us to wrap up here billy's got big important obligations and and i have nothing else to do today so i guess i could just sit here and continue to babble as, as you leave but I really god not, help us i'm not comfortable doing that so we're gonna go ahead and end uh and make tracks then so billy any words of wisdom for the if you say read the read the armageddon code let's just that's our words of wisdom read the armageddon code and you know get smart read pride and prejudice it's
2: actually shorter than hillary clinton's convention speech. <laughs>
1: Well, oh, well, Hillary's was shorter than Trump's, though, wasn't it?
2: I don't know. I blacked out at some point. <laughs> she did.
0: <laughs> this.
1: We are professional. I hit the wrong button on the replay. Uh, let's try this button here. There we go. So, uh, Billy, I, I, while you were babbling on about this Air Force thing, I found out. I found the uh, the musical that mentions Yonkers. Hello, dolly? Hello dolly. dolly. Hello, dolly. Yeah, I was going to say that before. Of course you're you're Mr. Musical. I mean, you're
2: But everybody's great young. white
1: way is you. I mean, that's you belong He's there. Just shut down my. Right. The church boys.